So here we are, sans Robert, but with everybody else. We're in Chateau Alan and Chateau Adrian. Once again, it's been fabulous with our gluten-free cookies and her fantastic coffee. Um, we've had a very, very, very interesting weekend sport. We had an interesting week sport, but I think it culminated yesterday in a performance of the highest order and the highest bravery and the highest lunacy. And the whole country went a bit mental for about two hours from about six o'clock to eight o'clock yesterday. And rightly so. If you're wondering where young Robert is, he is currently watching his his beloved Winnipeg Jets in Brooklyn. And as is traditional with Rob, when he goes to see them, they are, in fact, getting beaten. So, um, <laughs> hello to Rob. Uh, Alan. Hi, Dave. And William. Good evening. So, gentlemen, uh, we could talk about uh, next weekend, and we will later on. We could talk about all the weekend's action, and we will later on. But I suppose we really have to talk about one thing and one thing in particular. We've seen a lot of rugby between the three of us. Have you seen a better performance from any team in terms of all the chips are going against them, there's no rub in the green, and they just went, saw this, we're going to win this? Probably not. I think the thing was, I thought Ireland would win that game, and I think we all did. That seems to have been missed a bit by a lot of the analysis today. But what was unusual about it was when we beat France, and we have been doing that recently, it's usually nail-biting, hanging on by the skin of our teeth. That wasn't in the, in the game yesterday. Their possession stats, where the game was played, they were on the back foot for 90% of that match. And that's what I think has really revved people up. We took the hits. We lost three of our key players. The new guys came on and fitted in seamlessly and that's down to coaching preparation and the planning that goes in from Joe Schmidt and his team he expects players that are on the bench and in the squad to be up to speed and ready to go there's 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 no uh well may do your best we'll see what happens that's not tolerated those guys came on and it was seamless I mean you were you were optimistic you were telling us You've basically been talking to the guys in England. They're all going, oh, we're terrified. It's all going to go pear-shaped. And we get, they were getting more and more upset as things was going on. As, as we kept carting somebody else massively important off, they were getting more upset. But you were like this oasis of calm in the midst of Ireland losing the plot, well, the nation losing the plot. <laughs> Guy made a mind in England yesterday. was texting me. He'd back France at 5-4. to four. Ireland went, at 5-4? So, no, France. France, France at 5-4. to four. Sorry, sorry. And then, and Ireland were 13-8 to eight on favourites. Uh <laughs> At halftime, he rang me in a state of hysteria when Paul O'Connell had gone off saying, we can't, we can't win. I said, we're going to win. He said, we can't, we can't. Ten minutes into the second half, he wanted to know, who are we playing next weekend? I said, Argentina. And he, I think I just felt very, very calm. And I wasn't calm watching the game. But I've watched France a lot and I've watched how we play against them. They brought very little yesterday other than size and physicality. And we were capable of dealing with that, and we did. Alan, I wonder did we at some point just realise not that we were not that we could win or that we should win, but we were going to win. And it's almost like I suppose after about fifteen minutes, the penny dropped when everybody just went. Actually, these guys aren't much. Yeah, if you if you look at it, you know the you talk about you know experience and having good experience and whatever, and guys who are winners and captains on the field. They had only four guys from Toulon who've won the last three Heineken Cups. Only four out of their, their team. They had seven from Claremont, who are the perennial 
guys for cracking up under pressure. We had every one of our players, apart from Nathan White, has a medal, an international medal, a Heineken Cup medal or a, a Six Nations medal of some sort. Does Nathan also have Super 15 or something? Does he? Well, maybe he does. I don't know, but it, I'm, I'm talking Northern Hemisphere uh, here at this yeah, stage. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> don't get that level of analysis wrong. But but the, the other like I suppose like one of the things like we talk about again and and you know I, I Ronald Gar was talking about the size of them. Um, uh, the Shane Shane Horgan was talking about the size of the French. We're a bigger team, and we have been for a while now. If you look at it, take out Bastereau. There's there's hardly a player on the Irish team who isn't the same size, if not bigger, than his opposite number. Maybe maybe he slip against Pickamoles. Other than that, including their big huge prop, everyone forgets that that uh, um, Mike Ross is 124 kgs. He's a big man, and then when you bring on Nathan White, he's 122 kgs. These we have monster. We are a monster team in our own right. But everyone talks about it, you know, from historically the French being huge. We bet them up because we were bigger and stronger and faster than them. I think one of the things about the big size is if you're, to be blunt, some of the French guys just look fat. They don't look muscled big. That's one of the differences. Uh, And I think that comes about from just the way the training set up in France is players from England and Wales that have gone over there. Ronan O'Gara, when he's asked about it, tends to take a step back. But they play such intense games where they're expected to play week in, week out. They don't do the fitness level stuff. They just can't. Top 14 rugby is Neanderthals beating each other up every week. It's a bit like, if you look at it, France in rugby have become what England are in soccer. They've got the the most powerful league with the most money, (laughs) but it doesn't contribute because they've got so many foreign players playing with them, and it doesn't contribute towards their own national teams going so well. You know, Ireland, for Ireland to come back from the discombobulation of losing their, their main man, <laughs> their, their captain and their, their, their you know, playmaker, and to just play the way they played in the second half, it's just all down to what Joe Schmidt has them doing, which is looking, playing heads-up rugby. Every one of them knows what they're, they're, they're meant to do in any given situation. Ronan O'Gara was writing it in today's paper. Sexton said to him, Ronan, you'd have loved to have been playing under Joe Schmidt. He says, because I have options. I don't have to go looking for them. I know they're there. He says, the, the game plan, everyone knows what they're meant to be doing. Everyone knows what their job is, their role is. And I can just decide what I'm going to do. I make the choices knowing that everything's going to work. I just wonder, though, I mean, we're talking about that. I mean, we wouldn't say it was fair to say it was completely seamless. Like, Johnny goes off. Madigan had a very strange spell just before halftime where he seemed to, he started off okay. He got a kick. He got a good, he got a good kick from handoff. But he then seemed to stutter. And he then caught himself in two minds. And it, it kept going for the, for the last 10 minutes of the second half. He was very lucky with an interception. I think there had been a knock-on given against him. But he went through a phase. And then whatever was said at halftime, and what was ever said, some, clearly something was, maybe it was the realisation that they didn't have the most, the, the totem talismanic figure in Paul anymore. That everybody went, well, Paul is gone. So we're all going to we're all gonna have to chip in. The 15 of us are going to have to chip in to replace him. And Johnny. And it just seemed to change. Now, well, we have an advantage. If if French if the French had lost Picamo, they didn't have any. They had Bernard Leroux. He's a good player, but he's no Ian Henderson. And we'd lost Paul O'Connell. <laughs> Certainly not um, after the way Ian Henderson picked him <laughs> up and marched him back ten yards and changed grip in the middle of doing it, which is just phenomenal. But I mean, I'm, I mean, this is going to sound completely sacrilegious. But even if Paul hadn't got injured, would we have been better with Ian Henderson? 
it's a tough one. Like it's 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 incredible to be able to lose a world class player and have another world class player come on and, and do what he did. Um and you know, he just destroyed them in the line out. He took the first two line outs of the second half, just just completely took it away from them. I was really interested to see that they were going to bring him on as a six. They weren't he wasn't there as second row cover. That's what Smith said afterwards. He was there as number six cover, which is really interesting. Um they obviously thought O'Connell was going to last the, the whole game, which he normally does. Um, but but it's more significant that Devon Toner, who normally wouldn't last the whole game, would, would be kept on. Yes, yes, exactly. So it's it's a it's it's a hard one to call. Like it's like O'Connell was having a brilliant game. O'Mahony was just outstanding while he was on the field. Um, I just say we, <laughs> you said it beforehand. It was very hard to give anyone less than eight out of ten mm-hmm. from that performance. Hopefully we can do it again next week. Well, the only one I give out a ten for was Johnny, and that's simply because he didn't get. He only got twenty five minutes. <laughs> well, I'm, 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 I mean, we were talking about Omani, and we know that Henderson was originally meant to come on at six, but I think the more quietly effective substitution was Chris Henry because that, given the amount of ball that Peter had been carrying, you'd expect to be some drop off. Now, two things happened: Chris Henry comes on, does, and is wonderfully quietly effective, but then Sean O'Brien, who had been having a storm of a game, just goes up and even. He found a percentage within him. He was already playing at 100% maximum of commitment and, and, and his skill level. But he then found more. It was almost as if, right, somebody had, somebody, they, they decided, no matter what happens, guys, we'll find something else. It was like, like I said, the two-minute challenge. How much more difficult can we make ourselves, this for ourselves? I think one of the things that's um, been said in a couple of the media outlets today Joe Schmidt is a as a second half coach because he analyzes what's going on in the first half, and that fifteen minutes is considerably more than uh, a slice of lemon and a bit of a rub down with a towel. That's changed. You see these pictures from the dressing rooms now. There's two and three video screens in operation, and different pods of players are watching different things. It's so analyzed and so complex. But they seem to be able to take on board exactly what he wants them to change. Uh, we see a little bit of that at Connacht sometimes, where things are changed. That's modern rugby. Mm. And he did that yesterday. And Chris Henry, uh, I thought he had a f- fantastic game when he came on. And again, he fitted in and they was right into it. He, there was no holding back. Grab your chance and go. And I think, you know, uh, O'Mahony is out. Paul O'Connell is probably out. But the rule really is the king's dead, long live the king, you just move on. These guys, that's sport, it's hard, but it's professional sport. That's what Paul O'Connell would want. He doesn't want these guys sitting around saying, oh, the captain's gone. You move on. You just have to, and it's up to the younger guys now to take their chance. And Ian Henderson grabbed it yesterday and marched that French guy back (laughs) down the pitch because he grabbed his chance. Yeah, and the same with, the same with, you know, we talk about, we talked about Madigan and how well he played, but he had, an absolutely unbelievable scrum half inside him, making fantastically good decisions. And then Henshaw stood up and showed the, the how useful it is and how brilliant it is to have him at Connacht because he's a leader in Connacht. And he stood up yesterday, realised he needed to show leadership, and he did. He was just phenomenal. He's been playing at Connacht. He's playing as a young player. Yeah. But Madigan's also been playing at Leinster because Sexton went and did his uh, couple of years in France and everybody was sort of had their heads in their hands when that happened. But that's actually helped him because he's been playing. Young players need to play regularly. They don't need to be sitting on, on the bench. They need to be playing rugby. And if Robbie Henshaw had moved to anywhere else, he mightn't have done because there would have been more established players. But at Connacht, he got game time. 
and Henderson got game time at Ulster and yesterday was the proof in the pudding. Does that beg the question, do we need to look at the player the player rules in terms of we now know that Robbie's going to play maybe five games for Connacht this season. Oh, certainly we'll be lucky to see him decide at Christmas. So is there a case to be said that actually maybe the player welfare is almost detrimental for some players like we take a player like Jordy Murphy he's going to get maybe one maybe two games he might step up onto the bench but he's now on a central contract he's not going to get the game time because he'll be with he'll be with uh Ireland but at the same time if he was with Leinster he'd get the game time and he would be he would be an almost seamless fit in for whichever one of them for for either Armando and O'Brien I th- <laughs> that's the that's the conundrum and that's why these guys are paid the money and they have the their computers and they their little gadgets on their backs to analyze it but i still think young players need to play i think as players get older sometimes i almost think if if an older player gets injured as long as the injury can be uh, recovered from it sometimes prolongs their career paul o'connell 3 years ago was was staring down the barrel of not being able to play again because of injury but he changed his training regime, he changed his warm-up, and he had a bit of time off. And look, he was he's still at the top of his game at 35. Obviously, yesterday was, was, a, was a sad situation. But as I say, that's professional sport. Younger players may be a slightly different. Uh, so, so, I suppose we need to look at everybody. Sp- Robbie, he was doing, he was doing things... In with the ball in the first half, they weren't quite coming off, but he was showing up. He was putting his hands up. Um, he made he made the first try, and he made the first try by simply being better than Bastero. Absolute, and that was stunning. It wasn't. He was better in everything: vision, feet, skill, speed. Much better. Well, for me, Bastero has been a prop playing in the centre for a number of years, and as the years have gone on, he's looking more and more like an actual prop playing in the centre and, and Henshaw showed it showed him up yesterday first time Bastro got the ball yesterday Henshaw caught him and lifted him up and walked him back a yard or two and now O'Brien came in and knocked the ball out of his hand the, he was so ineffectual it was incredible yeah I think France I've said already top 14 is, is a different type of game if you look at New, what New Zealand have been doing their players are slimming down they're the six eight kilos coming off some of these guys, and it's not just because they look good in the black jerseys to help the marketing people. It actually means they're faster around the pitch, and France are France are going to, I think, going to start making changes. That they must realise that after sixty minutes they they look out of puff, and they don't have the skill sets that they used to have because it's they're they're just too big. And I think this is where Guy Noves is going to come in because under his reign to lose until the last couple of years when it became too big that's what they used to do they, the angles of running the lines of running all that stuff that was a classic Enoves thing whereas as you say now they've, they've sort of went too big and they're, they're on their way back down which is great to see I think it is great to see that the, the sizes aren't quite as big as they used to be they're still everyone's probably monstrous when you look at the soccer players because I tried to watch the soccer afterwards and I couldn't you know fellas looking at each other and falling down and crying you know after watching the rugby I just couldn't handle that hey hey Rugby, there were tears yesterday. A lot of tears. You're not, you're not, you're not getting away with that, my man. And oh, well, the Gaza effect got in there. And you have to have some po- po- Polish people have a natural ear. Uh, all have a natural ear infection, which causes them to fall over quite dramatically. Well, I think um, Robbie Keane must have a bit of Polishness in him because he was falling over quite easily as well. That's not bad. He was on the bench for the entire game. 
No, he came on and I, I turned it on at one stage and there he was. Ran out, a fella looked at him, he fell over. We got yeah, a free. Well, it's, it's, it's fine when it happens to us. Yeah, of course. Of course. I, I suppose, guys, we need to look ahead. We will look ahead properly in a few minutes, but there's one incident we can't look around, and it is how long do we think Sean O'Brien's going to get? Will he get one, or is he? will he be out of the tournament? Very, very hard one to call. It. They will analyse it. They look at the videos. Um, he's definitely going to get a ban, I think. And it was premeditated. It was off the ball. And if it's a closed fist punch, it's a, it would be considered a red card. So I would see him get in maybe three weeks. Surely that's a little excessive. I mean, that means he gets two weeks less than was it two? That means two weeks less than Pape got for nearly paralysing Jamie Heaslip. Yeah, and of course it was Pape was the guy he hit. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I really don't have any sympathy with him. I'm sorry, he had a great game, but you can't. It's gone out of rugby. It, it's just it doesn't happen. The cameras miss nothing. How the TMO didn't see it. I don't know. If it had gone to the TMO, it might have just been a yellow card, but it could have been a red card. And at 23 seconds into the game, sloppy. And I just want to ask you, was the TMO very poor yesterday? In terms of he didn't... I'm going back to an incident that happened in the 39th minute with Paul O'Connell getting necro... I'm pleading to Nigel. And there's nothing. And it's everyone can see it. And I thought it was the first game where the TMO was ineffectual... In the wrong way. Well, that's, that, that's because Nigel uses the TMO when Nigel decides he wants to use the TMO. <laughs> Little incident in one of the warm-up games. Sean Veltzman was doing the TMO for Nigel and he was being somewhat pernickety. And Nigel basically said, decision, have we a decision? And Sean Veltzman said, patience, Nigel, patience. And the look on Nigel Owen's face. He said it on radio in an interview uh, earlier on this year to do with bringing... TMO into to football, soccer, uh, that it's overused in rugby. And I think before the game, he probably says to the TMO, I want you in the background and I'll talk to you. I don't want you every two minutes screaming in my ear about stuff. He's And I said this in the, the last podcast, the guy on the pitch has to make most of the decisions. He's out there, he knows the pace of the game, he has a feel for it. The other chap is watching it, very similar to us, except he's got about 10 TV screens to look at, but he's disconnected from it. And I think a referee like Nigel Owens doesn't want that sort of TMO. Yeah, and the, the way he did it yesterday, when McGrath put in the high tackle, and he just asked, was that high? Well, the game is still going on. Your man comes back and says, yes, 17 high, went fine, play on. You've got a penalty advantage. That's how to use a TMO. That is fantastic stuff. That's just, you know... And the rest of them, he needs to teach the other guys how to do this. Well, and is, I, it, it, is it no more a case that in every other game we've seen, the TMO has gone, oh, come back, come back, come back. And where is he going? Night. It's, a, it's almost as if the TMO is, in, in, is controlling the ref. Well, with Nige, it's he's controlling the TMO. TMO exactly. Which, which, which is the way it's supposed to be, as, yeah. as I understand it. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm not sure what directives they're given, but yesterday's game benefited from it, and we benefited from Nigel Owen because he kept the game moving. France, I think, like to slow the game down so they can all have a little rest at various times. And he doesn't play like that. He wants this game on the move. So um, we'd love to spend the next 25 minutes talking about Ireland. We kind of have 18 other teams to talk about. And it wasn't like there wasn't any other rugby going on this weekend. So uh, in part two, we'll be looking back at what the other teams did. Not that it matters because we really don't. No, that's not fair. We do care. (laughs) 
so welcome to part two. Um, so we finished up by thinking we think Sean O'Brien might, will probably get, should get three weeks. Um, but Alan, he might get one. And it bases the issue that we need to look at in a wider context and mm-hmm. in terms of what happened over the weekend is, if you're a tier two nation, if you're Orm Machea, who is the only guy to get a red card. Now, Orm Machea, he also got Mala Match, which they've yeah, got. Yeah. Orm Machea, <laughs> Orm Machea got two yellow cards for a tackle that we've seen Tier 1 Nation do. He didn't wrap his arm. He made an attempt, but he got it completely wrong. It was, it was just a poor attempt at a tackle, not mm-hmm. anything malicious. Yeah. And there's no easy way I can put this. He rubbed the guy's head in a slightly aggressive manner. Yeah. Um, and he got two yellow cards. And he got, well, he, thankfully, they said, actually, do you know what? That's fine. But he's only got to get a red card. Alessandro Tuilaki has got five weeks for running as a Japanese guy, <laughs> who is, well, naturally small yeah. and a hell of a lot smaller than, than, than Tuilaki. Mm. And yes, we've seen incidents this week, and I, I, I find the Ryan Wilson one particularly mm-hmm. annoying, but Dave Polcock has not even been cited. Yeah. And as for New Zealanders, well, uh, you're, you're not impressed with how New Zealand have been treated, even though we've seen remarkably Richie McCall, the first man to go in the bin. But. Um, yeah, Sam Kane. Sam Kane should have been put in the bin. In the same match, Sam Kane picks a guy up, passes him across the horizontal, and drives him into the ground. More or less, drives him or drops him. Doesn't put him down the correct way. Like he didn't drive him into the ground, but he was going to, and then sort of let him go. That's a, red, a yellow card. Nothing. Isn't in the it? second half, the Tongan lad, and I can't remember his name, does exactly the same thing. Straight yellow card. Well, where's where's the fairness in that? Where's the tier, the, the tier one, tier two thing? You know, or, you know. Sorry, where's the, the the level playing field? Do you reckon that in terms of that, they're terrified that you're going to end up with a Sam Warpen situation again, and they're absolutely terrified of that? Because no. of what happened to Warpen at the last World Cup? I don't. No, I don't think so. I think I think it is. It's the classic case, and it's it's rugby's biggest issue is the fact that it's a brilliant game in my book. It's the it's it's the best team sport in the world, but it favours the bigger teams. It favours the more successful teams, and the referees then tend to favour the more successful team and then success breeds success in in that roundabout way and it's it's a sort of it's it's you know it's a, it's a game played by in, by the upper upper classes in most in most places it's not necessarily always the case but for the most part it's seen as a as a, a middle class upper middle class sport and and so the more aggressive um the more successful people tend to sort of like to look after themselves but in Uruguay, it's played by doctors and lawyers, and they got refereed out of the game in the week against England. They couldn't do anything right against England. I mean, irrespective of whether they could do anything right against England, they were yeah, the referee talking, perceived. Yeah, but you're talking amateur team playing against a professional team, and that's you know there is no you know that that's for me it's it's more the the Tongan game. You, you look at the Tongan Tonga against New Zealand. Tonga have a rolling mall that's almost running towards the line, almost running. And it gets dragged down five metres from the line. There's no penalty try. There was a yellow card, which is fair enough. But there should have been a penalty try. They then get two more penalties from scrummaging. And still no sign of a penalty try. And eventually don't get it because they try and get the ball over the line. And the ref doesn't bring it back, which he should have done, for another penalty. And didn't bring it back. That is unfair refereeing and it happens too often. Why are we so so aware of it? Because we're, we're watching Connacht for long enough. And we know what it's like to be on the other end of these things. But I mean, we can we can go on about the ref. And I, I generally agree with you, and I think certainly I think they maybe have been refereed poorly because they just assume, it's assumed that because they're amateurs, they're not going to be as good, yes. and that's harsh. You're not really yes. refereeing the refereeing the jersey. You're not refereeing what's actually being seen in front of you. Whereas with New Zealand, 
you are refereeing the jersey. Oh, it's an All Black. He must know what he's doing. Oh, well, Richie McCall, we know he's always offside. But McCall went off because he did something. He had a brain fart. Yeah. Not doing what Richie McCall normally does. Yeah, but I just, just, sorry, just, just, just one, one sample of this. I, I played a game years ago in England. We played, I didn't play a particularly high level, especially in England. It was pretty pathetic, to be honest. But I played a game where a guy had been an international referee at one stage. And he was on, you know, this guy was in his 60s refereeing again. He was brilliant. But he, a couple of times, sort of, guys went to ground and they pushed the ball back. And he blew it. And I spoke to him afterwards. I said, why did you blow that? But that, that happens at international level. And it's not blown. And you're blowing it today. Why did you blow this, this you know, pushing the ball back, playing the ball on the ground? Which you see it in, in, in all levels. Is, oh, it's not, you, you couldn't possibly have the skill set to be able to do that at this level safely. And I went, really? That doesn't make a lot of sense to me. But there's, there's an attitude of, you know, because you're not at the right level, you're going to get refereed differently, which is wrong. I would agree with that to some extent, but I think what holds back some of the tier two nations, and I don't know, I, I'm not prepared to consider Uruguay and Namibia, is that I think they're very, very poor, yeah. and there's a question mark about whether they should be there or not. They keep getting pinged for the same offences, and some of the offences are really stupid. They just do stupid things. They, they, and I think that gets on referees. Referees are under pressure. They're all marked up after games about how much time the ball was in play, how they kept the game flowing. And I think they get on the wrong side of referees. And then when the big decision has to be made, it goes against them. It was particularly Samoa are a perfect example of this. They are a tier two nation. But they give away penalty after penalty for the same thing in every game. They did it on Saturday against Scotland. It's it in few, and it cost them. It cost, it cost them. Japan a place in the qualifying. Yep, it did, and and that's the problem. So that's where referees, and I think all referees balance things up sometimes in their heads. But the Tonga situation was lamentable. Penalty try. There was at least three occasions it should, could have been awarded, and. Bizarre. And it would have been, you know, like they, they got hammered in the end quite correctly because New Zealand were the better team. But if they, you know, just to give them that boost just going into half time would have been the correct thing to do and would have made the game an even better game. And by the way, Japan lost and didn't get to the quarter final because of the shocking way they had to play two games in four days. And Scotland were the main beneficiaries of that. Well, I'll, I'll come back to that in a while because I do believe that if Japan had played USA after four games, they would exactly. have made it. That is the, that is the issue. I mean, it wasn't. Yeah, it yeah, was yeah, it, that, yeah. that was the issue. But I'm I'm wondering to go back to look at the broader sense of the New Zealand game and to bring in the team that I think are now favourites, which is Australia. Eighteen months ago, we in the last eighteen months we've had a complete reversal, a, a, a one eighty switch, where New Zealand can't scrum yes. now, yeah. and Australia can now. Ledesma is clearly a massive advantage mm -hmm. that has completely done. Absolute miracles with the Australian scrum. Where is it going wrong for the All Blacks? Why are they suddenly now looking very, very involved? It can't just be that they're old. It can't just be that their second row is actually ridiculously young. But their back row is old and their front row is, well, it's younger now because Tony Woodcock has basically been forced to retire. Mm -hmm. But all that experience seems to not matter a jot. They're struggling up front and they're being saved by having a ridiculous amount of quality backs. I think New Zealand, it's very complex how, do, how you analyse New Zealand. They, they've been playing in the World Cup for a month. They haven't played a serious game yet. The Argentina game, the first half was tough. Second half was pretty easy for them. And they've now then played three 
essentially almost exhibition games where they looked bored and disinterested. And I think that comes across in set pieces and planned moves because if you're not absolutely switched on, that's when they fail. The problem they have next weekend is they're playing France and France have come out of a, a very physical, epic game yesterday. New Zealand will be wary of that because they haven't had a proper test yet. And they have to just turn up the the wick, if you like. And that's not easy to do in, in professional sport, to just go up to a level when you've been playing at a lesser level. Scrummaging, it's... As we saw when we played Italy. <laughs> ab- ab- absolutely. Scrummaging, do you know, I think a lot of scrummaging is in the head as much as in the physicality of it. It's how fired up you are and how switched on. And you've almost got to rein in the the manicness to to get it done. And they they have been struggling in that area. Meantime, Australia, who used to be the joke of world rugby, with their scrummaging, it was horrendous. It just completely different thing. But has that come from Cheka and worked its way down? That it's 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 a pride thing. We have to get this right. They're still. I mean, they've got rid of some of the, the really strange props they used to. They're still fundamentally using front rows that they've had. There's no. I haven't found a Wunderkind prop. They're still using the same players they were using the last for the last two three years. Some have been jettisoned, but they're fun. It's still fundamentally the same front row. Yeah, it's a strange, it's a strange scenario. Maybe it's this this thing, as you say, as William was saying earlier, they're they're lightening up a little bit and they're losing a little bit of bulk in order to play the game. They look fantastic going forward for the most part, and the, you know, phenomenal amount of offloads, you know, incredible lines of running and whatever. Um, but in defence, they don't look as powerful. They don't seem to win as many collisions as you would expect them to do. Um, and maybe this is this has affected their front rows as well that they're they're and their whole pack that they're they're just not scrummaging and then maybe they're just fooling us all <laughs> and they're just waiting for something to come because like that you know you look at that I'm just looking at some of the headlines in the New Zealand New Zealand website here and France fall flat in Cardiff all blacks expect French back French backlash all blacks have nothing to fear you know uh, all blacks have to exercise the ghost of Cardiff past you know this is this is all these are headlines from New Zealand they're, they're, yeah it's it's going to be phenomenal and of course let's get Wayne Burns to referee it and that'll really get inside their heads <laughs> but I suppose we need to talk about the Australians I mean they yeah. are they are the team they've come into a certain degree under the radar because again last time they were a big noise in this side of the world you had to do with was it was it Curtly Beale that wouldn't wear the uniform and yeah but I, like, and, I, and text say, messages to the to the to the coach, and yes, I want to raise a point that was actually not raised by me, but it was Warren, who's been like, who, who was one of our alumnus, um, raised this on Twitter. He said the defensive performance highlighted how bad they were going forward. Um, they were saved by quite. I mean, we we can we can shout and raise. Ireland didn't have to put in a defensive performance last last night because France were just poor with the ball. Wales were terrible with the ball, yeah. but I shouldn't take away from the fact that what Australia did for that 10 minutes was phenomenal. It was, but... Oh, there's always a but from the Welshman. <laughs> <laughs> Half Welshman. Um, um, I think Australia will be very pleased with the, that bit of it. But they, somehow or other, their attacking was, prowess was switched off by Wales. 
and they were running into blind alleys and a better team than Wales with a proper scrum half and out half would have won that game. The, the, they well, a better the, attacking team. I think defensively Wales were Wales were right up there. Oh, oh, oh they they were, but they were so naive when they had that ten oh, yeah. minute spell, ball, yeah. and it was uh, it was harrowing to watch as a, a, a semi Welsh fan because the the, the, mo- the more the more they had of the ball, the further back they were being marched, and Australia contributed to that. But they will be slightly concerned going forward uh, about how I think. They just ran out of attacking options in that game. I think the player I was most impressed with when they came over last year was Falau. He doesn't seem to have... I mean, he's defensively, he's still standing. He's still... But he's dropping... He was catching everything last year. He's, he's dropping a lot of ball. Mm-hmm. He doesn't seem as sure of himself. And it it was... If you compare it to what they did against the first half against England, against Wales, there was none... There never was any sign of that. Foley was back to being what we expected him to be, solid but not spectacular. And they're... Now they they may get away with it in the quarter final, but further on they're going to have to find something, and they can't. You just wonder where that's going to come from. Well, I think that the, the reason they didn't is that, that the Welsh back row was a heck of a lot better than the English back row, so they didn't have as much front football, and they didn't have as much space and freedom in which to run. And, and defensively, the Welsh were able to stand up to anything they, they, could, they could throw them. Again, the Welsh were a huge team; they're seriously big men in that in that Welsh side for the most part. And again, and, and sometimes we forget that you know. Everyone thinks the South Africans are the biggest and the Aussies are big guys. And, you know, in this part of the world, we've caught up. Physically, we've caught up. And we're at the same level as, as the other teams now. Now you need to move it on. England were just in a very bad place, I think, when, when they took them on and, and made Australia look a heck of a lot better than they, than they actually are. But if you look at the two midfields, the two midfields for Wales and England against Australia were bash-bash. Hmm. And we saw, OK, against a poor, very poor Uruguay side and in a game where there was a little bit of freedom because there was nothing riding on it. With a little bit of guile, when they had Joseph and Slade on at the centre, England had a good midfield. Yep. Is that where is that how you beat in Australia? Is that how, certainly how you beat the South Africa, which is what Wales are going to have to do? Mm-hmm. Don't bash, 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 bash is too easy to defend against. Yes. We saw yesterday where France had bash, bash, and we had Robbie and Keith. If you could just hold on to a ball, yeah, yeah. If Keith had held on to that and got into the corner, you know that game was that game was done and dusted. And I think it is. I think it's. it's and this is where the game is going. This is where if you look at New Zealand when they have the ball, they're not bash, bash. In any way, shape, or form, they're throwing that ball around. The hands that they showed in one of the tries, you know, where three hands just went bang, 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 bang. It was catch pass, catch pass, catch pass. And they're catching and passing in the one movement. There's very few other teams who are doing it, are capable of doing it. And it's not just catch and pass. They're catching, straightening, and then passing. You very rarely see a New Zealander drift with the pass. You very rarely see them following the pass because they're running in the same direction of the pass. Most teams are doing that. Ireland certainly do it to a, a, a lot. A big extent. We didn't do it yesterday. One of the reasons that we got that breakthrough for Tommy Bowe to give to Keith Earls is because Henshaw took the ball and stood the defender up because he came inside. He wasn't drifting across the field. He was coming back towards the play, looking for soft shoulders and was able to pop the pass and then the hole opened up. Admittedly, it was between Bastereau and, and <laughs> Michelac. But let's not, let's not worry about that. And that's how you beat the French if those two guys are playing. I think that's what New Zealand will do. Whenever they're around, just run at them guys. The danger for New Zealand in that game is they get sucked in to a bash game against France. If it gets to 60, 65 minutes and it's close, watch what watch this space, folks. It could be very interesting. I just wonder if it's going to come down to benches. All this, all this, all, well, we're talking about it, in the final part, we're talking about the quarterfinals. Just wondering how important benches are going to be in the quarterfinals. And I just think, in this case, I think New Zealand have a better bench. But I can't have said that before in the past. Um, 
quick little roundup of the teams that we the team the tier two teams. Uh, sorry, the the teams that finished third. They're very contrasting. We've got Japan, who we all loved, who basically got stiffed by the competition organisers. We got Georgia, who we all love, who basically just need to find more backs. So I thought their I thought their inside centre had a very good game. I mean, they played some really nice rugby and then would threw up. That they, last they, try was phenomenal. F- great pass. One great passes in the tournament. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Going through for that pass yeah. out to the winger. Yeah. I think the growth thing, but if Georgia, Georgia, they played absolutely fabulous, but they just kept making one one error. They they could yeah. have had five six tries in the game, but they just made it. But so, yeah, and again, it shows that they do need to play. Um, and tier one nations need to play more of the likes of Georgia, who aren't as far back down as say Uruguay are. That these teams need more game time against teams like Ireland and Scotland and Wales and England. Well, even I mean, and certainly that. And if we then we got Jordan, Japan, who I think have been the sensation of the championship, three three wins, and I do say stiffed by the organisers because if they played the USA after four days, they would have they would they would have gone into that final game against Scotland. And I've uh-huh. a little bit of a rant I'm going to go on at the end about that um, in terms of a, a, another sort of subsection of the organising. And then we have the other two teams that finished third. And they're Samoa and Italy. And you... Just, what do you think of Italian rugby, William? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, okay, you've set me up a bit there. Um, I think... Well, I was going to ask you what you think of Samoan rugby, but I'm not sure you... (laughs) I think Italy came to win two matches. They get third place, they've qualified for the next World Cup, and that's it. They were incredibly disappointing. They put in a performance against us, uh, and Perese, I feel really sorry for him that he's had to spend his career playing in the mess that is Italian rugby. It's, it's got worse. Two, three years ago, they were doing fine. They won two. They won. They should have won three games in the Six Nations. Never mind two. I think it is slipping. We see it very closely. I mean, we play two Italian sides every season. They come to the sports ground. They're poor. We go over there. They're poor. I don't know where they're going with with their with their rugby. I th- I actually think what they need is an Italian coach who might be able to understand the psyche. Perhaps Perese, who's coming to the end, although he's only thirty two. When you look at Paul O'Connell at thirty five, but he's had a lot of injuries. He might be able to get in there. The, the coach is gone now. Uh, very unhappy looking Frenchman whose name escapes Brunel. me, Brunel. He's going back to top 14, so they'll get another coach in and they'll start again. And it's just been a treadmill of one coach after another, a couple of decent performances. But their World Cup performances since 1987, they've been to every World Cup, have just been poor. And this time, I just thought they were very disappointing. I think there was a very good guess. They should have probably lost both the two games they won. Well, certainly Canada. I mean... Canada should have beaten them and I think it might have helped Italian rugby if they'd had to pre-qualify for the next World Cup by tootling off to play uh, the likes of Russia and maybe Romania they they actually beat Romania reasonably comfortably yesterday um, but they to have an automatic place it's it's a little frustrating it's a bit like a bit like Ireland were back in the in the late 90s and that that you know that defeat to Argentina in Lawns sort of changed an awful lot in Irish rugby and we're seeing the benefits of it now I know it's sort of 16 years later but you know we won't talk about some of the coaches we had in between Uh, indeed Um, I suppose we better before we wrap up on this section we better have a quick of the other eight teams I suppose Fiji can count themselves very unlucky that they um, they were in that group Um, the only I I I liked the USA in the sense that they're 
they're a team that they just need more game time. Is it the case that those other eight teams really just need games? I mean, we know Uruguay they're, and Namibia are amateurs, so they're, I'm not sure what, how or what they need to do next. But the, some of those teams, it's just games they need. And we can, when they play, I mean, we saw Batonga, they give the All-Backs a game. Personally, I would cut the number of teams in the World Cup down to 16. And I would play it. It, it, it goes on too long. If they're going to keep going at this length, then the squad sizes have to be bigger. 31 isn't enough. It needs to be bigger. Uh, The Lions would operate at about 36. Some of the touring teams that come here in November have 40-man squads. What I would do then is the the, the top eight, the quarterfinalists, all qualify for the next World Cup. The third-place teams play off two semifinals and a final and the two finalists. And that would leave you six qualifying positions for a 16-team World Cup. And that's what I think it should be done. I think it would concentrate their minds a little bit and it would help you produce better Tier 2 nations getting into the World Cup. A lot of the teams have been to every World Cup and, yes, there's slight improvements and their point average has gone up and they don't lose by as much, but they're still losing. Japan have been the one real bright spark and it's to see them going out with three wins where France qualified in the last World Cup and they'd lost two games and they still got to the final. But that's sport. Yeah, I think Fiji were the were the other ones that I, you know, I, I thought they got fairly hard done by in the England game. I thought there were some decisions went against them that were really, really tough. And the Welsh game wasn't much better. Now against Australia, they, they sort of blew it when they had chances to do things. Um, but I think in, like, I can't remember their out-half's name, but one of the best out-halves in the World Cup is, is the Fijian out-half. And for the life of me, I can't remember his name. Um, but you know, you're looking at this, there's a lot of quality coming through. It's just taking too long for it to happen. Um, I suppose I'm going to throw a little question here. Do if it's the, it's staying at 20 for Japan, will it be the same 20 teams? Yes, and I think that's the problem. We we all we we know uh, we know 12 of the teams that are already there, and it's very hard to see it being different. If you look at the fact that I'll tell you the only the only difference will be it'll either be Uruguay or Russia. Well, I was about to say Russia would be the only other ones now. I'd say that might might do something. You can't see anybody else. I mean, I'm, I remember was it the '99 World Cup? At least, I mean, the, the teams had no chance. But we had Sweden and, and Holland. At least we saw they had international teams. But I mean, I suppose we come back to the thing that we, we the game we were at, and the team I went drinking with afterwards, the German national team that couldn't beat the Eagles. Mind so I mean, that's the difference. And I think they're ranked 25th in the world. Yeah, that 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 that's the problem with 15 man rugby. And that's why when Sevens goes to the Olympics, it's going to change because the Olympics will take a lot of the better players from these two t- Tier 2, Tier 3 nations and they'll be able to think, right, I'll go and play Sevens and I can get to the Olympics. That's when the pressure is going to come on, keeping 15-man rugby as a, a game that you have enough teams to actually host a 20-team World Cup. Maybe it'll go down. Television would also have a big influence. Can I just make make a point about this? It's a big commitment for an operation like ITV or TV3 here to show this tournament. And it really, it's set up in many ways for a satellite sports channel because it's it's quite esoteric stuff and there's a lot of the games are quite one-sided. At some stage, I think the pressure will come on um, but 
it's certainly the next World Cup will be 20 and we, we already know the 20 teams really OK so that's a look back at the weekend um, so we've got so in part three we're going to look forward and we're also going to have our runs and we may no actually we're not going to have anything from the Grey Squirrel so see you in part three <laughs>
anyway. I think you pretty much go along with that. You'd, you'd pretty much go with that. Um, he's it's a walking wounded probably situation. Some of those other guys will will have been a bit beaten up, and that's why I think they'll be a little bit slow to bring in replacement players. But again, they'll have to be brought in so that they know the lineout calls and stuff. Um, so it may almost pick itself by the weekend. I think it's significant though he's he's waited four days to bring somebody in for pain. He's known pain's been missing since Tuesday. No one's come in. And Peter Mahoney and within twelve hours Reese Brother is on the plane over. So that kind of shows where his priorities are. Yeah, I think it does. It's also uh I'm fairly certain that if Sean O'Brien is suspended he can't be replaced, so your squad com- yeah. comes down to thirty. So there he's covering himself on pain. He's obviously waiting to see now does he need to have cover for Sexton? Does he need to have cover anywhere else? Uh, Keith Earls went off yesterday looking, I think, just exhausted. But again, yeah, he had a nice pack on his elbow. Well, he's always got a nice pack on some <laughs> part of him. Uh, which is, <laughs> so I would think uh, in the next day that will they'll nail down the, the replacements. Yeah, just going just on on some stats. Ireland have won the last five games between ourselves and Argentina, but the last time we played them in the World Cup, Argentina won. But having said that, it's the first time we played them in the World Cup was in Lons, which we lost. We then met them in, in Australia in 2003, exactly. And then we lost, so we're, we're due that victory. Have Argentina looked good because they haven't been playing much? I think it's been, that's been a really poor group. It's not been very, it's not the, the level of rugby. They are so far ahead of the other three teams that New Zealand and themselves have really just played, they played each other the first weekend and they've spent the rest of the time just playing around, trying to stay interested. Now they've both got to switch on and get ready uh, for the quarter final. Uh, It's a a hard call. They they beat South Africa uh, very well in the rugby championship and then the following week South Africa turned them over very handy. I think they're still a team in progress and I don't think they're anywhere near as battle-hardened as the 2007 team were. That was a side that had been together from around about 2003, and it was really peaking when it came to the 2007 World Cup. This side might still be a little bit short of that. They are trying to change the way they play. It's not totally forward-dominated, and they play quite quickly, which is Southern Hemisphere rugby. But I'm confident that if Ireland go out with a, a Joe Schmidt game plan, they'll find enough on Sunday. And um, last World Cup, we, Tommy Bow ran the length of the field against Australia. Every, the country went nuts. We went out against Wales and we didn't perform. That is a legacy that this a large group of these players don't want again. And Schmidt will have learned from that. The players have certainly learned from that. That complacency that we'd done the hard work by beating France, that won't be there this time, sure. Oh, I don't think so. And and also, we, we um, and even though I'm a huge fan of Rog, we picked the wrong out half that day <laughs> because we couldn't change our game plan. We had a game plan and it was the only one that we knew, which was give the ball to Ferris, give the ball to O'Brien, smash it up the middle and, and the Welsh just took us apart. And and they had, you know, they, you know, they, they know us. They know us inside out. Um, the Argentinians don't know us inside out. This is a new Argentinian team. Like they've, they've scored the most points in the World Cup. They've got the most drop goals with one. <laughs> There's only three drop goals in the whole World Cup. But, you know, these these are a free, very, very free-flowing side. They're not the same team that we played before. Um, but they don't know us. They really don't know us that well. And, and I don't think they've come across a team as well drilled in defence as the Irish team, which is the best defensive team in the World Cup at the moment. 
No, it's true. But the traditional as all, the traditional have been a forward team. They've been up at the scrum. They've moved away from that. But the scrum is still going to be important. And I think significantly, and we mentioned about how Australia's scrum has improved. Our scrum has improved. But our scrum gets better when we bring on our reserve props. I don't know why that is. As in, maybe it's because we're going up against tiring teams. But Nathan and yesterday Jack McGrath came on, they won penalties. Nathan and Keane Healy came on, they won penalties. It's not saying that Mike Ross and whichever starting new said haven't been going well. It's just they seem to come on and... Our replacement props are better than other people's replacement props, apart possibly from Australia. So do we think the scrum as an Argentinian strength has been negated to a certain degree by this move away from a forward game? Uh, it's possible, but they might go back to that on Sunday because they might go back to what they know best. We don't know who the referee is going to be, and that's going to be crucial. How is the scrum refereed? What is he looking for? Both sides yesterday knew exactly what Nigel Owens wanted, and... He did. He barely had to speak to them. Uh, it could be very different on Sunday. If if that's an area we we need to make sure that we don't get sucked into a mess there, get it in, get it done, um, because that that gives them leverage and it gives them a foothold in the game, and that's why I'm still. I'll come back and say I I I think we can take them. I know we're, we we could be down a few players, but they're not going to. We're not going to underestimate them. Uh, it's a different mindset completely to what to what happened in the last World Cup. Well, they've lost players as well. They've lost, I think, both their first choice, second rows have gone after the first game, one yeah. through suspension, one through injury. Mm. So they're not they're not as they're not as at full strength as we we believe. But again, are they that group you're saying is a poor group? Uh, poor group. There's certain teams have got to the quarterfinals, and we don't know really. We can't judge them. South Africa is after Japan, we can't judge them. And Argentina after New Zealand, no one's been paying that much. In Ireland, has been paying that much attention. No, well, they've they've got the most meters made. They've got the most clean breaks out there. These these are a very attacking side who like to throw the ball around. But they've been they've been able to do it because they haven't come across a defensive team that's been able to stop them. Even against New Zealand, they they ran the ball an awful lot and got made an awful lot of meters. They're not going to do the same against Ireland because we won't let them because we are a far better defensive side. Okay, so we're going to make a quick call. We've got the four uh, we got the four quarterfinals. When we look forward to the semi-finals, what four teams would you expect to be in those semi-finals, Alan? There'll be three Southern Hemisphere teams in Ireland. Ditto. I'd say we're correct. I think the one team that could put a span in the works is the Welsh, because I think they've got one lunatic performance in them, but I don't expect it. <laughs> okay, we're going to round up, and quickly, any final business, gentlemen, anything you want to get done before we wrap up? Uh, yeah, just one rant. One rant. I am sick and tired of listening to colour commentators show it, talking to us and telling us, listen to the crowd, look at them doing that. I'm going, no, you're a colour commentator. I want you to tell me something I don't know. I don't need you to tell me that this player is off the ring five metres down the field when I'm looking at it as you explain it to me. I, I saw one or two people giving out about Liam Toland on Twitter and I don't understand why because he's been the best colour commentator out there. He's seeing stuff and explaining why things are going on that we can't see because we're not at the game. He's there. He's looking at everything that's going on on the pitch. Um, not so much a rant, more an observation. England got knocked out. They played on Saturday. But the World Cup has continued and it has barely missed a beat except on ITV, who I have been watching. They, they still look as if they're a bit mournful. Come on, guys. You've just got to get with the programme. It's moved on. And the fans have turned up. 
there was a very good atmosphere even at that England game on the Saturday night. The, the people that came along, they were there to support their team. They did it. They didn't look, they weren't happy, but they looked as if they were having a good time. They were, they were happy, but they weren't happy that England had been knocked out. No, because the, the entertainment side of it is still there. Like, these, the, these, are, these are events. These aren't rugby matches. These are events, and they're, they're being put on brilliantly. And from marketing people's point of view, they seem to be doing it very well because they are pure events. And, you know, you can hear, if you listen to the back, the amount, the amount of Mexican waves, Genie Mac, especially when the game was going on. There was one, one of the guys was kicking in one of the games and there was a Mexican wave going on. So, though, you know, there's an awful lot of people there who are there to be entertained, you know, not exactly looking for supporting of their, their rugby team. But um, that's a different rant because, in general, I think the fans have been brilliant. They've been staying to the end of matches. They've been cheering the teams on. Um, the atmosphere has been brilliant. Um, and, yeah, we'll hopefully get that sort of thing here in 2023 when we get the next World Cup. My little rant is, it's not really a rant, but I think it was very disappointing that the Japan-USA game had absolutely nothing riding on it. And there was no, and it's never going to happen. But I would really like, in every other competition where you have two teams that can possibly qualify in the last round of games in the match, you put the matches on at the same time. It's in every other sport, but I just know it's not going to happen in rugby. So I'm realistic enough, but I thought it was just a... Yeah, um, I just thought it was a little bit disappointing. Okay, that's all from week three. We are robless. We will be, he will be back from his sojourn bringing rugby to the masses or bringing hockey to Ballon Robe. I think I know which one's most likely to happen. Um, don't expect any ice rinks in South Mayo. Um, we have a game on uh, sort of a, a, a passing fancy of ours are playing this weekend. Uh, Connacht are playing on Friday, so we'll have a Craggy Island out on Friday evening or possibly possibly Saturday morning, um, depending again how much the jet lag, how jet lagged the grey squirrel is. Um, I thank Adrian once again for being fabulously fabulous host. I like to thank the gentleman for not making as many cock ups as normal. Um, <laughs> though I, I, again, I wonder what the factor that's missing this week might possibly be. Uh, don't know. This will hope when you hear this, guys. Let us know how you're doing. Let us know on iTunes. Let us know on that you've listened to us. Tell us what we're doing right. Tell us what we're doing wrong, and uh, we'll just ignore you because hey, this is our podcast. Um, <laughs> <Nice> <laughs> Uh, until next week when we'll be looking uh, back at the quarterfinals and ahead to the semi-finals and we'll have the great the one the only and be thankful for that Rob Murphy to guide us again until next week thank you very much (laughs) 